Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Good day to everybody. I'm Nicolas Bornozis, president of Capital Link, and welcome to the 2024 Capital Link's corporate presentation series. In this series, company management highlights the company's current operations, business development, growth prospects, and sector outlook. We have with us today the senior management of Scorpio Tankers, Mr. Robert Buckby, President and Director, and Mr. James Doyle, Head of Corporate Development and Investor Relations. Scorpio Tankers is a provider of marine transportation of petroleum products worldwide. It has currently, uh, it uh, currently owns lease finances of bare boat charters in 111 product tankers uh, with an average age of 7.9 years. Uh, the company is listed uh, on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol STNG. Uh, in terms of logistics, before I turn the floor over to them, um, we begin with a company presentation followed by Q&A. And please note that participants can submit questions through the Q&A button at any time during the presentation. Uh, and uh, your questions will be answered right after the presentation. Before we begin the webinar, a reminder of um, the disclaimer that this discussion is strictly for informational and educational purposes and should not be relied upon. It does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities or investment advice or advice of any kind. And obviously, capitaling bears no responsibility for the content. And with this, let's begin our discussion. I would like to turn the floor over to Robert and James. Please go ahead. Thanks, Nicholas. Hi, I'm James Doyle, head of IR and business development at Scorpio Tankers. I'm joined here with our president, Robert Bugby. Um, we're going to give a brief presentation and then open it up for Q&A. So slide three, please. Great. Um, Scorpio Tankers owns a fleet of 111 product tankers, which provide seaborne transportation of refined products such as gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, naphtha, and other clean petroleum products. We serve a blue chip customer base consisting of oil majors, refiners, national oil companies, and commodity traders. We're publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange and have a market cap of 3.3 billion. Slide four, please. Um, we just wanted to start a little bit simple here and kind of highlight what the difference between a, a crude oil tanker and a product tanker is. And a product tanker has an epoxy coating uh, inside the tanks and lines on the ship, uh, unlike crude oil tankers, which are uncoated and tend to be larger. The coatings allow the vessel to properly clean its tanks uh, when you're loading different types of cargoes. So for example, you don't want um, gasoline residue uh, on a previous cargo to mix with a new jet fuel cargo and then load it into a plane. So cargo contamination is a, is a risk our customers can't take and something that is, is, is quite important. The, the other thing to highlight on this slide is that a key driver in our business is the distance between the refinery and the consumer. And over the last several years, we've seen that distance grow quite considerably. And this has required vessels to travel longer distances and effectively reduces supply. Slide five, please. Um, just an overview, we have three types of product tankers. Our smallest vessel is the HandyMax. It operates mainly in Europe. Um, then we have the MR, which stands for medium range and is often referred to as the workhorse of the fleet and carries around 300,000 barrels uh, on average. 
and can service the largest number of ports and, and regions in the world. Uh, the LR2, the long range tanker, goes obviously on longer haul trades and has an average cargo size of around 700,000 barrels, which is the equivalent of almost three Olympic sized swimming pools. And to the right, you can see the product tanker trade map, which is a simplified version of, of where our vessels trade, but product tankers go on thousands of different routes. Um, but this is just to give you an idea. Slide six, please. Scorpio owns and operates one of the largest fleets in the world. Um, it is also one of the youngest. The average age of our vessels is eight years old, which is significantly less than many peers in the average age of the global fleet. And we'll touch on age later in the presentation why it's important. Um, slide seven, please. The product tanker market has benefited from increasing global demand, higher seaborne volumes, going longer distances against the constrained supply curve. And the cash flows from this strong rate environment have been significant and transformative for the company. Over the last seven quarters, we've generated 2.5 billion in EBITDA, reduced outstanding debt by 1.4 billion and returned over 700 million to shareholders consisting of 640 million in share repurchases and 60 million in dividends. And recently we have increased the dividend from 10 cents to 35 cents per share. Slide eight, please. Not only have we reduced our debt by 1.4 billion, but we have also refinanced a significant amount of our debt. So we continue to refinance expensive lease financing with borrowing costs between LIBOR plus 350 to 525 basis points with new loan facilities with borrowing costs of SOFR plus 190 to 197 basis points, which will bring down our borrowing costs. By the end of the first quarter, we will have reduced our lease financing by almost $2 billion since December, 2021. And in December, our net debt was 1.2 billion, a decline of 1.7 billion from the end of 2021. So our balance sheet continues to improve and we feel the company is very well positioned. Slide nine, please. The company has significant operating leverage. At $30,000 a day, the company generates almost 800 million in free cash flow, and at $40,000 per day, almost 1.2 billion. This would equate to free cash flow yields of 22 to 35% based on yesterday's close. And there are several reasons as to why we expect these rates to continue at these levels or potentially higher for the foreseeable future. Slide 10, please. For the last seven quarters, rates have defied seasonality, refinery maintenance, and other short-term headwinds. Product tanker rates have oscillated between $25,000 and $80,000 per day. And over the last month, we have seen an increase in LR2 rates as refining capacity in the Middle East has come back online after an earlier maintenance season. But really all of this results into the fact that we've seen strong global demand, low, low global inventories of refined products, displaced refining capacity, and a constrained supply curve, which has created a really fantastic rate environment. We expect it to continue. Slide 11, please. In addition, Disruptions such as Russia's invasion of Ukraine, lower water levels in the Panama Canal, and recent attacks near the Suez have exacerbated the strong fundamentals in our market. At a high level, they make our markets more inefficient, which increases the distances the vessels need to travel and tighten supply. Many of the vessels which have moved into the Russian trade will have a difficult time coming back to premium trades in the US and Europe, effectively reducing supply. 
And while rates have yet to meaningfully move as a result of the attacks near the Suez Canal, December volumes in the canal were down about 15% year over year. And further attacks do further attacks do have the potential to increase rates, given that this there has been a large increase in Suez Canal volumes for products as a result of the Russian sanctions. Um, however, all of that being said, the real driver is not been disruption, it's been demand. Slide 12, please. Demand has been robust. Um, year over year, we expect refined product demand to be 1.3 million barrels a day higher this year than last. Um, and the increase in demand is leading to higher seaborne exports. You can see that in the graph uh, to the bottom right. In December, clean product exports averaged 1.5 million barrels a day, more than 2019 levels. And not only have these exports increased, but the barrels are traveling longer distances. Slide 13. So while demand is above pre-COVID levels, refining capacity is lower and more dislocated. The impact of new export-oriented refineries coming online has led to an increase in exports in ton miles, while refinery closures have created the need to replace lost production. For example, in places like Australia, where product imports have increased 48% since closing two large refineries since 2020. In each region, there are different refinery configurations, domestic needs, and regulatory requirements. And product tankers really serve as the conduit for rebalancing these surplus products in different regions. So you see surplus naphtha in the Middle East finds its way to Asia or surplus gasoline in the US find its way to Latin America, surplus diesel going to Europe. And in many cases, some of the largest exporters in the world are also the largest importers like the United States, which exports a fair amount of product, but also imports quite a bit. And the dynamic here really creates increased triangulation of the fleet, which leads to higher utilization and rates. Slide 14, please. Given the changes and the dislocation in refining capacity, exports in ton miles have grown at a faster rate than underlying consumption of refined product. Product exports in ton miles have increased in 20 of the last 24 years. And since 2000, ton mile demand, which is the quantity of cargo multiplied by the distance it's traveled, it has increased at a compound annual growth rate of 3.4%. So it is often the oversupply of vessels which leads to a weaker, a weaker rate environment than demand. Slide 15, please. Today, the order book is 12% of the current fleet which increased over the last year due to the strong rate environment, long-term charter rates on our vessels, the constructive demand outlook, and the age of the fleet. Um, but there are many constraints to ordering today. I mean, new builds are expensive. There are long lead times for delivery um, and uncertainty about propulsion systems to satisfy future uh, environmental regulations. In addition, the, the average age of the fleet is, is over 13 years old today. And by 2026, 9.3% of the fleet will be 20 years and older. So you do have to order more vessels to replace this, this older tonnage that will be aging out. And, and many of these older vessels will be scrapped resulting in, in lower net fleet growth. Um, and also for product tankers specifically, as the vessel gets older, 15, 16, 17, 18 years, certain customers will not take that older product tanker because they're worried about the coatings inside the tanks. And 
they're worried about the contamination for you not being able to properly clean your tank. So what we also see is vessels as they hit 16, 17, and 18 go to tertiary trades, not competing in the premium markets. And so that's going to have a significant impact on, on the supply and demand uh, over the next several years. Um, slide 16, please. So 2024 fleet growth is expected to be around half a percent, the lowest fleet growth since 2000, while seaborne exports and ton mile demand are expected to increase 3.3% and 6.1% this year, vastly outpacing supply. In addition, the one and three year time charter rates remain at very high levels. Uh, evidence that our customer outlook of one of increasing exports in ton miles against a constrained supply curve. Um, they agree with this. So we're in a very, very um, exciting time in our space because there, there's a confluence of factors to, in today's market that would be constructive individually, but when you combine them together, have really created a, a very great supply-demand balance. And that's historically low inventories, uh, increasing demand exports in ton miles, uh, dislocations in, in the refining system, um, rerouting of, of global product flows, limited fleet growth, and upcoming environmental regulations. And collectively together, they're, they're unprecedented. Um, and then last on slide 17, just to recap, um, Scorpio's fleet is fully delivered on the water today. We do not have any new, build on, new builds on order, which means no new build CapEx outside of just regular uh, dry docks or special surveys for the vessel. Um, we have significant operating leverage. Uh, a $10,000 a day change in, in rates translates to $350 million in incremental annual cash flow for the company. Uh, the outlook for product tankers remains robust as demand grows and the supply curve remains constrained. And we have reduced our leverage by 1.4 billion and continue to refinance more expensive lease financing. Um, at the same time, we've returned over 700 million uh, to shareholders through repurchases and dividends. And with that, I'd like to open it up for Q&A. All right, here's some questions. If you have a question, please put it in um, to Q&A and, and we'll address it. Robert, I, I think this one's probably for you. Um, what are we seeing in the current market today? Um, can you give us an update on where rates are and what's on where rates are? Sure. So uh, we'll, we'll wind back a few weeks. So round about the first, second week of December, the market moved um, strongly upwards. And then through the Christmas period from around the 22nd, 23rd, through to basically last night, the market sort of colors consolidated, faded a little bit in most sectors, but very, very healthy consolidation with the holidays. And today, I don't think Capital Link could have timed their meeting today better for the product market. Today, the market is ripping. I mean, it is moving very strongly now, particularly in the East. MRs are going up a lot. In the AG, they're going up a lot. And in the US Gulf, where it's, it's definitely hit a bottom, volume and activity is picking up. And we would expect that to 
move up a little bit this afternoon, but to really gather pace as we move in towards the end of the week and early next week. The LR2s are now, the list is very tight. Um, in fact, I'll say the list is very, very tight. Already we've fixed today um, AG West at around $5 million lump sum, which depending on which ship will do that voyage is seventy to 80,000. And beyond that, beyond this, if we look forward into the position list in 10, 15 days time, that is super tight. Not very, very tight. It's super tight. We're seeing very strong fixtures this morning, east to Australia on LR2s and UK con to Japan. UK con Japan, we fixed around in the $60,000 a day range. Um, we can very easily see these markets move substantially higher and see these rates at a point that is higher than we've seen for the last 20, 20 months in a pretty short period over the next few days. And that's where we see the market today. James, I can't hear you. Great. Thank you, Robert. Uh, we've got a lot of questions coming in here. So the next question is kind of a joint question. Can you give us an update on the Red Sea situation and also the impact of the Panama Canal water levels? Um, Robert, would you like me to start? Yeah, you can start. So, look, I think we've what we saw with the Panama Canal um, is obviously you saw MR rates you know, really jump from about thirty to sixty, sixty-five thousand dollars per day. Um, there's definitely been around a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand barrels a day of capacity impacted that goes through um, the Panama Canal. So, for example, the Panama Canal can do, uh, on average, um, close to a, a million barrels of product a day, um, and that's been down, you know, probably fifteen or twenty percent. And you've seen that impact on rates. Um, with the Suez Canal, we have seen the volumes come down slightly year over year, um, but we haven't seen that surge in rates. So one of the things we highlighted uh, at the start of the call is over the last month, we started to see LR2 rates constructively move up a couple thousand dollars you know, each week or each day. Um, but that was really as Middle Eastern refining capacity came back online. Um, you started to see the increase of those volumes. And basically the Middle East typically does maintenance in, in January and February. They actually moved it forward to November and December. So we're seeing the benefit of that now. Um, and, it, and it's very clear in the LR2 rates. Um, obviously, um, it's a, um, a situation when it comes to the Suez where you have 10 to 15% of all global refined products, seaborne trade moving through the Suez Canal. So if things escalate, uh, there could be a material impact on, on rates. I, I, th I think it's very important for everybody to understand is that so far the product market really hasn't benefited from Suez. And this is because it's not, it doesn't really affect the front part of the curve because that's already set. It might, might affect a couple of voyages itself, but not the overall market. What affects the overall market is when what we're starting to see now the forward position list, that is the number of ships available to come back into a position to load, starts to shrink against the cargoes that needed to be moved. And that's one of the reasons that we can be you know, so sure 
uh, I mean, we, we don't have to be sure at all on what the market's doing right this moment today because we're, we're literally seeing it in the fixtures. But we can also be so sure that that position list and market will continue to tighten because we're seeing the availability of vessels in the future in the loading areas that matter starting to shrink against the cargo load. Agree. Um, okay, so the next we've got. I'm going to start combining some of these questions because they're, they're they're related. This is this is uh, one about um, what the company. What are the company's targets for specifically financially? Um, when do you expect to get there? Uh, is it a debt target? And so, given that not everybody has listened to every call, Robert, I'll pass to you, and maybe you can start with with what we've done. Okay, we haven't given a, a precise dollar number. What we've spoken about earlier is that we said that it would be quite clear to everybody in, in the industry, lenders, participants, that if you've got a modern tanker fleet down to net debt of around scrap value, which for Sting is somewhere between 800 and $900 million, we could all agree that that would be low leverage. Not moderate, but low. The so in a world um, you know that is very uncertain, and uh, then you know that's about as low as you you, you know you, you could go to that low to get to um, a leverage level that you'd be happy with. But if the world got to looked safer, you know what I mean by safer is that you know perhaps interest rates look as if they're you know a lot has changed since september and that right now you could argue that interest rates may have stopped moving up and dollar interest rates could going forward go down therefore you know you've got less less requirement to service debt so therefore on that basis alone you could afford to have a higher level of debt carry a higher level of debt to achieve our objectives than at a higher level of interest rate Financial markets back in October, August, September looked particularly stressed. You know, Wall Street was still talking about a potential of a um, you know hard landing. Um, many pundits thinking at that time you were going to see a crash in the financial markets. So, really, what matters is not just your outlook on rates; it's the outlook of the big picture outside the product market. What what forces does that put on interest rates and what forces does that put on um you know your 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 market itself your financial markets so um it's not a direct thing i would counsel people against thinking that we have to get it down to 800 900 as i said it depends on other factors when we will get there is, you know, is a com is a combination of two things. Is a combination of spot rates. I would say spot rates are ahead of where we thought they could be in September, and we have been stated that we are open to selling older assets as well. And if we were to, um, you know, the selling of one or two ships is never a um, material event uh so we are unlikely just to announce those as we're doing it we're more likely to announce those in general earnings releases if we've done that 
So we could get to our targets quicker by either accelerated rate increases and or the sale of assets. Thank you, Robert. Okay, so the next one is a is a combination question. Um, how do you expect if you, if you if you if you make these combination questions difficult, you'll have to answer them, James. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, th this one is how do you expect increased risk insurance premium due to political instability? How do you expect this to impact shipping rates and and prices? So basically, what's the the impact and the cost of, of the, uh, the commodity. They, they, they will go up and customer will have to pay. And then are any charters or customers concerned about pollution risk of an attack in the Red Sea? I think anybody in shipping nowadays that, that, that's, you know, wishing to run a, a, a good, um, a good operation is very concerned with pollution risk. Very. And then I guess, what are your thoughts on time chartering out more vessels? Have you seen more demand from charters or customers willing to pay a premium for younger tonnage? And do you think that this has to do with ETS or upcoming environmental regulations? Yes, is the answer. Yes, yes to both of those. And where are we so far we've been? you know happy to continue predominantly on the spot market we will as we've always done enter into longer term contracts with you know on a customer basis sometimes there are customers that are very valuable to the the whole enterprise and provide either good information or many of the spot cargoes so we, we would enter we have no problem in entering into longer term contracts with them um, and it's not really a market call but you know we've been right at the moment for to keep the vessels on the spot market. And I guess somewhat related to this question, Robert, is, is another one, and it's what is the impetus to create or buy a new ship? You know, why would somebody do it? And then how are they thinking about uh, upcoming environmental regulations when they order a ship? Because we really haven't seen too many dual fuel ships. Most have been conventional so far over the last you know year or two with the, the orders that we have seen. So I guess based on your experience, um, you know, you were around for the, the transition out of single hull. So, you know, what do you think? I think all transition transitions uh, um, you know, take a little time to, to, to go forward. And it's not certain at the moment as to what engine type is going to win out for the future. So the, there is a you know, there's some risk in in choosing something now, but I think that for us, you know, that there's no real impetus at all to order um, order new vessels. I mean, we have a fleet that is young enough to continue for many years, and the cost of ordering a new vessel and the fact that you don't get it for three years, you have no cash flow for three years against um, what one of our own ships is actually earning, against um, the fact that we're trading significantly under NAV anyway, against the desire as shareholders ourselves to you know, ret return 
you know, capital in one form or another going forward. There's just absolutely no impetus for us at all. That's helpful. And then we're getting a lot of questions coming in here on, on capital allocation. So I guess one is uh, you raised the dividend last quarter. How are you thinking about increasing that dividend um, over the next couple quarters? I saw on Jay Mintzmeyer that you said you would never full transition to a full payout ratio um, because it hasn't worked well for other shipping companies. But how do you think about the dividend? And then there's another question in there. Um, at what point do you start to increase share buybacks or do you just focus on the dividend and continuing to pay down debt? Okay. We will never go to a full payout ratio with my support and management support. So it's not going to happen. And I could spend the rest of the call repeating that if you wish, James, if there are follow-up questions. Uh, we're, we're thinking a lot about what to do. It's largely going to be dependent upon, uh, you know, where the share price is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we're focused, but what we are focused on right now is look, we're thinking obviously about how to do it, but we're obviously not going to talk about it. There's no value to our shareholders at the moment in talking about that. No value to us. We're purely focused on getting the leverage down and maximizing the earnings that we have right now. And when we get the earnings down, then we'll, you know, then we'll just, then we will actually decide what we're going to do. And we get the leverage down. Okay. And then I, there's a couple of these in here as well. So, you know, the outlook looks great, but you know, what, what is the, the, what hurts this, you know, bull market cycle what keeps you up at night in terms of uh how how this ends how these how this rate environment ends and have you ever seen a period where it's slower growth and lower oil prices or is it typically a recession you know what should we be looking for there's nothing typical in what crashes a uh, a shipping market it's we we've seen it all we've seen War in 1990, we've seen financial currency crises in Asia in 97, we've seen terrorism in 2001, we've seen financial crisis in 2008, and then we saw horrific COVID in 2020. All of those are different, none of them were typical. All of them were many standard deviations away from the norm, and none of those were predicted by anybody. So I've now fortunately old enough and experienced enough and have a balance sheet that's strong enough not to lie awake at night worrying about what's going to happen next. I've sort of consoled myself and been humbled enough times in each of those basic, each of those events to expect that whatever takes down the product market the next time will be something that I am almost certainly not have thought about. But we will be prepared for it. Great. I guess maybe this one's for me. 
but it's, you know, when do you think we'll start to see scrapping increase? Um, what would be the drivers? Would it be rates? Would it be sanctions? Would it be scrap prices themselves? Robert, maybe you want to start and I'll kind of finish. Mm. Um, it, there's no in, incentive at this point with such high rates and, and the fact that so many of these ships in the tankers haven't quite reached that 20 level. But I think once you start approaching the 20, you start getting financial incentives regardless of the strength of the spot market. And that's because less and less people take you. You have a very high capital cost to put out maybe in the form of the, the vessel's fourth special survey. And almost certainly uh, in the case of any tanker, uh, steel replacement as well as your off hire due to age will increase and your desirability for customers will narrow. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, historically, if you look at the data, scrapping is obviously lower uh, in stronger rate environments. But I think what's different for products, and we have this on slide 15, is we've never had this many vessels turn 20 consecutively in several years, right? Because we're talking about the early 2000 vessels. And if you look over the next few years, there's, you know, eight to eight, eight to 11 million deadweight tons a year of, of product tankers hitting 20 each year. So if you go back the last few years, there's only been three, four, five, right? So we're really gonna see a large uh, increase there. And when we've done some work internally, you know, a lot of the 20 year old MRs uh, are trading in dirty petroleum products or they're trading in regional coastal trade in Indonesia and India carrying, you know, one type of, of distillate from one refinery to another. So they're effectively removed from, from our fleet. And I do think you'll see an uptick in scrapping given just the large number of these ships uh, on a percentage basis. So I, I do think we will see that. But as Robert highlights, uh, in a strong market, you can continue to see these vessels hang around and, and, and find uh, some sort of use. Um, I guess back, Robert, uh, there's a couple of refining questions, which we'll hit a little bit later. But um, how are you thinking about the break-evens? Last we heard, they were around 17,000. Is that still an accurate number? Um, what is the plan to get those down? I'm not sure we've published, we've officially um, um, gone out and, and given a latest update on break-evens. Uh, I think that obviously those break-even levels as interest rates have, have, have started to flatten and the company has been repaying down debt, those break-even levels are, you know, are going to be falling. I think that the opportunity of having our, our interest rate, interest break-evens falling faster than the increase in um, OPEX due to inflation is, is, is really there. And I think that that's one of the things that's really going to benefit the company. You know, if we simply, we simply look at the a situation where, you know, half or so of, of our, of, of our cash break-evens right now, at least is, you know, is interest. And, um, and and capital and repayment, loan repayment, 
if we were to, you know, half our debt over at that period, we're starting to drop those break evens into the very low levels, thirteen or so thousand dollars a day, which would be fantastic. I think it would be, I think it is a very good position to be in if we had, you know, one of the youngest fleets as well as one of the lowest leverage fleets, as well as the lowest cash break even. That would be a good goal to achieve. Great. And then I guess, given the given the discount to where the company's share price is to, to its net asset value today, uh, you know, today would you be thinking about increasing share buybacks given that discount or would you be because of the volatility in your nav um and then there's another question to this is staying on a pre-split basis is was previously a 90 or 100 dollar stock but is fundamentally in a way better position today than it was 10 years ago um so wouldn't that support more buybacks to try to get it back to a particular price um, what would support more buybacks in the future is if we achieve our targets on our, um, our net debt position and the stock was still trading significantly below NAV. But if that's just a different question to, you know, what are you doing with your present capital allocation? The, cap the present capital allocation is focused on reducing that debt level. And I think that it will, if you know, if we look at the rates out there, I think that that debt level could be achieved you know, quicker than, than many people believe, many other people outside of the company believe it can be. And then what are your but, thoughts but we, on- But we, we want to we play from a complete position of strength and respect the fact that it's a volatile word out, world out there for good and bad. And and what about consolidation? I mean, obviously, there's some. We've seen a lot of consolidation in the dry bulk space. Um, is Sting looking to acquire anybody, um, or do you see any other potential combinations out there over the next year? I think that you know we uh, we're a public company, so we're duty bound to consider any offer to sell a company made by somebody. That is a you know is a is a reasonably strong premium. As for us acquiring people, we have the really great fleet, isn't we're not short of earning cash flow. We you know almost all of our peer group has a fleet older than ours, so there's there's not much out there that in the product market that would be interesting for us to buy. It would just be more of the same. It doesn't necessarily mean you're better making the same better. And we're not short of scale. So it's, uh, it's not attractive to acquire other people. Okay. And then we've got a few questions here, kind of. Um, one is, you know, under what circumstance would Scorpio decide to not transit the Red Sea, such as the container lines have done? I'm not going to discuss anything to do with Scorpio's operations in the red sea there is little value to the safety of our crew either whatever we say going forward it's just best to stay you know 
take the privilege of silence on that one and and literally not to make yourself a target. Noted. And then there's a question here about upcoming refining capacity additions, specifically in Nigeria, the Dangote refinery, um, which is expected to come online this year. I'll take that one. Um, there's a few train of thoughts when it comes to this Nigerian refinery. Um, one is that um, they'll no longer need to import the 500,000 barrels a day of products that this refinery will produce. Uh, the other is that because Africa as a whole is a home for off-spec product, you could ship the off-spec product from around the world to Africa and they could export on-spec product and capture the ARB. To be honest, I think it'll be somewhere in the middle. Um, I can see traders um, being able to profit off of these trades, but at the same time, it depends on infrastructure, um, when the refinery is up and running and, and these types of things. WAF is generally um, delayed in, in the discharge process and it takes quite a bit. So we'll have to see there, but I don't think it'll be either, you know, they stop importing and they don't export. I think it'll be somewhere in the middle. Um, the next question is about China. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'd like to add, add to that because the history of new refineries in new geographical places has never been negative to the product market. Rather, it's stimulated further trade through arbitrage, etc. because no refinery has, has ever produced in its history the exact mix it needs for its own localized distribution. So whether it's in the United States, the United States, or whether it's the addition of China, China stimulated a lot of new product trade. Korea did the same. Um, India in recent history did the same. So, so the history of the superficial position when you see a new refinery come up in a importing areas to go, oh my God, the product market's gonna miss out. But in reality, it's actually stimulated the demand in the, in the area and stimulated arbitrage around it and therefore stimulated overall demand for the product tanker market. Agree. And the next part was about China. Um, we've seen them add a lot of refining capacity. How do you think about their flows in the short term and the long term? Um, what percent of they uh, are they of overall demand? China today, uh, on an export basis, is probably one to two percent of overall seaborne product exports. Um, they've they have not granted more quotas to the teapots, um, and so we haven't seen an increase in in Chinese exports like we did last year at this time. But you have to remember that it's all controlled by the government. Um, they definitely have new modern refining capacity and a lot of older refining capacity operating at lower utilization rates. Um, to be honest, it's actually one segment of shipping where China is not this massive percentage of the overall market like dry bulk or containers. Um, but we welcome obviously higher exports out of China because they increase backhaul voyages. It's not gonna completely change the market for us, but you know, anytime you're carrying cargo, um, on a backhaul voyage, that that's better than than uh, being ballast. So so that's certainly a positive. Um, but we'll see. The answer is it's quite difficult um, to determine. Um, I guess kind of more of a high level question for you, Robert. But based on your forty years of experience in the industry, what has you most excited about the current market? 
And what makes you most excited about Scorpio tankers specifically? Oh, right. The current market is very excited because we're, you know, we're seeing growth in headline demand. Um, we're seeing people come back after COVID to flying, etc. We're seeing the benefits of the change of the positive change in the ton mile multiplier. We're seeing the, the the change in, for example, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait starting to export products as opposed to just exporting crude. We're seeing, you know, the benefits on Australia, New Zealand deciding to import products as opposed to uh, importing crude and, and refining it. And we've got supply very, very contained for this stage in the in the market i mean we've been going along two years now and supply growth for the next three years is pretty damn low under any you know on an absolute basis and especially low when we look at the aging of the fleet and yard capacity is is being constrained has been reduced over you know the, the period we've seen Yards close. We've seen China block off yards because they're building their own uh, military fleet. And many of the areas in shipping have been you know, had that desire to to renew their renew their fleet. So I think that's what's really exciting. What's really exciting for Sting is to be there, to be right there with ships on the water, to to have the fleet on the water, to have no capex. And to be very close to this, you know, incredible but next position of being extremely low in leverage, that's really exciting. Normally, in, in my career, you've been in the middle of a new building period, and in, in the this is my third, let's say, mega cycle. Um, you know, the '80s, then the early 2000s, and both of the times then, you know, at this stage we were still in the middle of a of a new building, quite heavy capex. Um, position so so those are the things that define this for us at the moment well great well thank you very much robert and nicholas i think we've covered pretty much all the q a questions and, and, for, and for those that are polite enough to have tuned in today i'll emphasis i'm not guessing about the market improvement Robert, I think before we came online, we were discussing offline exactly about the amazing uh, turnaround of the market and how a few years ago, uh, you know, we were all discussing about the turnaround that was coming and coming and here we are, very different market conditions now. Sure. I mean, we've gone from, you know, hell to heaven. <laughs> no, no, not many. I've heard of you know people going from heaven to hell, but not many people go from hell to heaven, right? And you know we've we've you know where I'm sitting now in my apartment, I will never forget looking out, looking out across New York skyline and seeing zero planes in the air, just zero, and zero cars driving along the roads, and you know that was 2020. And most of 21 and, you know, tremendous uh, turnaround in the demand side between that point and now. But of course, we're amazing. having the benefit. We're having the benefit of that pain because there was just nothing ordered during that period and the yards had to close. 
and, and older refineries had to close. It is an amazing new situation, and I think uh, it's uh, a situation that seems to, to have legs and last. Um, so we can all close on an optimistic note. I'd like to yeah. thank you. I mean, this has been an amazingly well-attended uh, presentation, as always. And uh, you have an avalanche of questions all the time. Still, quite a few of them remain uh, unanswered. Uh, but again, I'd like to thank you and uh, James for uh, a tremendously interesting uh, presentation. And mm -hmm. uh, with a closing, I'd like to remind our viewers that um, this webinar will be made available for access upon demand uh, on CapitalLink's website at capitallinkwebinars.com and also on our uh, YouTube uh, channel. So thank you, Robert. Thank you, James. And above all, thank you to the tremendous number of attendees we have today. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you. Thank you.